As I said to you earlier, I was preparing to begin Colossians and the Lord convicted me that we needed at least one more reminder sermon. This is a new year. It's 2010 and I've been challenging you to give this year to the Lord Jesus in a radical way. Maybe in a way you never have before. But as I was contemplating getting ready to do Colossians, the Lord spoke to me in my spirit and He just said, remind my people to cry out to me in 2010. Remind my people that I am a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. And of course, where do you go? But you go to Matthew chapter 7, right? And uh, so the Lord wanted me to remind you individually and as a church to cry out to Him in 2010. On an average Sunday, there were 20 people uh, in attendance. They had $10 in their church bank account. They met in a shabby two-story building in the worst part of town. The pianist only knew one course, and so they sang it every Sunday. It's kind of like it was when I used to lead the singing. And uh, sometimes they sang it twice on a Sunday. The young pastor of this church writes, The embarrassing truth is that sometimes I didn't want to show up for the worship service. That's how bad it was. He recounts one Sunday that he was so depressed he could not preach. He broke down in the pulpit. And he just he told his people, he said, I don't know if I can continue like this. And he called his people up to pray with him. He writes in his book, I knew we couldn't organize, market, program, or finesse our way out of this. New ideas about church growth were irrelevant. We needed God to come down. And the Lord led this pastor to Second Chronicles 7, 14. Most of you will be familiar with this text. God is speaking to Solomon. And God says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear you from heaven. I will forgive your sin. My eyes shall be open and my ears attentive to your prayer. This young pastor decided that what he would do is he would lead his people to pray and the barometer of that church, the gauge of success for that church would not be Sunday morning worship, but it would be Tuesday evening at the prayer meeting. That was in the early 70s. And today, uh, that young pastor who was so depressed and wanted to quit, he's still pastoring that church. His name is Jim Simbala. He's pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York. Uh, that church now meets in a facility that holds over 3,000 people and they fill it up three times on Sunday from 20 people and 10 bucks. This is what God does when His people pray. And while Jim Cymbal and I would not agree on everything, we do agree on one thing, that God's people are expected to cry out to their Father. God calls His people to pray. He's called us to be a praying people. And that's what I want to remind you to do in 2010, to be a praying 
people. I love what Simbola says about prayer. Listen to what he says. This is really prayer. This is the essence of prayer. God is attracted to weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need Him. Friends, that's what prayer is. You don't need a catechism to tell you what prayer is. Prayer is we need God. Amen? We need God. And we cry out to our Father who hears and who answers it's simply confessing how desperately we need Him. And friends, at an international church like this, where we turn over, last year or this year, we turned over 50%. When you turn over that much, man, you need to be a praying church. You need to be a praying church. You know, I've said it to you before, ICM is such a pathetic spectacle in the eyes of men. You know, we're nothing. We're just a group of, of ragtag internationals from all over the world. Some Italians praise the Lord. I mean, we're a joke to the world. But God loves to magnify Himself through that which is weak. Amen? And if anyone qualifies, we qualify. We're nothing. We're nothing without Jehovah. God, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, Jesus Christ, if we're really walking with Jesus Christ, He will always take us out of our comfort zone. This is why the Christian must pray. He will always take you out of your comfort zone. He will always uh, take you to that impossible place. He always does. If you're really walking with Him, He'll take you to that hard place, that place where uh, it is impossible without Him. Some of you remember this illustration that I love to use. It's about Bruce Wilkerson's five-year-old boy who wanted to go uh, slide down the biggest slide in the park. You guys, some of you probably remember this illustration. And he got up to the top of the ladder and he froze. And he said, Daddy, come help me, Daddy. I can't do this by myself. That's prayer. <laughs> you understand? That's prayer. Daddy, I can't do this by myself. I need you, Daddy. That's prayer. That's prayer to me. There's only one reason a professed Christian would, never, would not pray, and that would be that inexplicably that Christian believes they don't need God. And what I want to say to you, you can't, you know, you can't walk with Jesus and not pray. You know, if you don't think you need God, I, what I want to say to you is you're not walking with Jesus at all. Because as I just said to you, He will call you to that difficult spot where you will need to cry out to Him and believe Him. I love how Bruce Wilkerson talks about this. He says, It is a frightening and utterly uh, exhilarating truth that as God's children we are called to do the impossible. Uh, Jesus will always take us to the big slide. He'll always take us to the big slide and we're always going to need to cry out, Daddy, Daddy help me. I can't do this by myself. There's so much I could say about prayer. Uh, prayer and praying is mentioned four to five hundred times in the Bible. I could do 20 sermons on it. I'm not here to do an exhaustive exposition about prayer. I'm simply here to remind you that you are supposed to be praying earnestly and fervently and persistently and uh, unceasingly in 2010. Not only for you and your family and all the things that are around you in your personal orbit, but for this church and what God wants to do in this church. 
to invest heavily in prayer for this church. We've got some huge decisions in front of us this year. And we want to hear from God. We need to hear from God. And so my purpose is simply to call you to pray. God says, remind my people to cry out to me to be devoted to prayer. You know, I think, about, I think it's six times, if my memory serves, in the New Testament, uh, the Bible says for God's people to be devoted to prayer. Let me ask you, Christian, are you devoted to prayer? Are you devoted to prayer? This is the Word of God. So you heard the text read. I think I'll just read it one more time. You, ne- you can never read God's Word too many times, right? Matthew chapter 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it shall be opened. Or what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If then you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? Exclamation point. I love this text. I love what John Eldridge, he's an American author, I love what he says about this text. Listen to what he says. These are outrageous and provocative words. He says... If these words invite and arouse desire. They fall on deaf ears if there's nothing you want, nothing you're looking for, nothing you're hungry enough to bang on the door for. So let me ask you, Christian friend, are you hungry for God to come down? The International Church of Milan. I mean, really. Do you want to see God come down in great power? Do you want to see hundreds, uh, maybe thousands of people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you want to see this church established uh, and get a foothold in Milan? If you want to see those things, friends, you'll be praying about those things. You'll be crying out to God about those things to establish this Church, this is a breathtaking invitation. And I want you to understand, I know you know this, but this is God's invitation. Ask, seek, knock. This is God speaking. It's God speaking. Friends, we're to be a praying people. Jesus commands it. Ask, seek, knock. And I love what He says here. He gives this illustration. You know, we know that uh, God is presented to us in, uh, as a father figure, which is obviously appropriate. Some of you may have had bad fathers. Some of you may not be able to relate uh, to a heavenly father figure in a positive light. But I love what Jesus says here. He says, man, he says, God's way better than your earthly father. Even if your earthly father, when you, when you asked uh, for bread, you know, he gave you bread. Or when you asked for a fish, he gave you fish. He didn't, give you, he didn't give you a stone. He didn't give you a snake. Even if you had a decent earthly father, Jesus says, they're evil compared to my father. This is what I want you to hear, friends. Our God hears prayer and he answers it. And he loves his children. Jesus says, my father's way better than any earthly father. And if you had a good father, you have some sense of what that means. 
But whether you had a good father or not, Jesus says, the father is good. I just want to lay this groundwork. And I've, I've said these things to you before. This is by way of reminder for 2010. As you enter your prayer closet, you always have to remember who God is. The only thing that makes prayer worthwhile is God is who God is. That's the only reason prayer is worthwhile. Because God is who He is. He's infinitely sovereign, almighty, and omnipotent. No one or no thing can stop Him from answering the prayers of His children. Amen? No one can stop Him. He's, ir he's irrepressible in this. He's unstoppable in this. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. You'll get your answer. You will get your answer. God is infinitely righteous. He always does that which is right. The answer that comes from God will be perfect. Whether it's yes or whether it's no, it will be perfect. It'll be perfect. God can do no other than what is perfect, particularly for His children. God is infinitely good. His answer will always be in your absolute best interest. It will always be. God is good. He's wise. He's infinitely wise. His answer will be flawless in its wisdom, in its timing, and in its effect. It will be perfect. It will be perfect. God is, is infinitely loving. I think we had that in one of our songs. I mean, all you got to do is look at the cross. Look at the cross. This is how much God loves His people. This is how much God is sold out to His people. His answer will always be perfectly loving. I love what John Piper says about God in this regard. Listen to this quote, please. Our Father's heart is full of deep and unshakable happiness. Don't you love that image of the Lord? And we may be sure that when we come to Him, we will not find a frustrated, gloomy, irritable Father who is out of sorts and wants to be left alone. But instead a Father whose heart is so full of joy, it spills over onto all His children. Amen? Isn't that what we find when we get on our knees and we, we go to our prayer closet and, and we're alone with the Lord? Isn't that, what we, isn't that who we find there? He's never irritable. He's never out of sorts. And His joy spills out onto all of us. Look at this Matthew 7 text here. God insists that we pray. He insists that we do. Verse 7, He says, Ask, seek, knock. You see, Jesus repeat those words again in verse 8. Ask, seek, knock. There's no question in my mind at this repetition. Jesus is saying, Hey, I want you to get this right. Aggressively pray. Ask, seek, knock. Persistently and aggressively pray. Jesus says, I insist that you pray. So, little audience participation. Not much pressure. Jesus says, ask. What happens if we ask? Jesus says, seek. What happens if we seek? Jesus says, knock. What happens if we knock? Why are you not praying? If you're not praying, why? This is utter foolishness if we profess to be Christians. 
This is God speaking to us. This is God speaking to us. He says, come. Bring all that you have, all that you need, all your requests, all your petitions, all your burdens, all your concerns. All your, bring them to me. Bring them to me. The asker receives, the seeker finds. The one who knocks gets an open door. God means for us to pray. I love Proverbs 15.8. This is not only His will, this is His delight. The prayer of the upright is my delight, says Jehovah Jireh. The prayer of the upright is my delight. You've got to love that. What an encouragement to pray. God is eager, yea, impatient for you to cry out to Him. Listen to Isaiah 65, 24. It will come to pass that before they call, I will answer. Don't you love that? Who doesn't love that? Before they call, what? I have answered. God's answered in eternity past, friend. It's done. What an awesome God we have. It's done. The answer has been dispensed. It will come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And, and while they're still speaking, I will hear them. Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. Uh, he told the Old Testament Jews, listen to what he says. He says, you who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem. What is he saying? He says, give me no rest. Persist in your prayer. Give me no rest till I establish you. And that's our particular prayer here at the International Church of Milan. Establish us, Lord God. Establish us. Yes, we have 50% turnover and 30% turnover and 25% turnover. But establish us, Lord, in this place. Establish us. Awesome, sovereign God. I want to call you to pray for this church. If you've been negligent in praying for your church, I'm pleading with you tonight as your pastor, pray for your church and pray for the leadership of this church. We need God. We need His discernment. We need His wisdom. We need to hear from Him. And I love this open-ended, unconditional challenge from God. He says, pray, I will hear. The answer has already gone forth. I will establish you. Ezekiel 36, some of you know this great text. Listen to what the Lord tells Israel, what He will do for them in their behalf. Listen to this, I love this. This is for us. This is for us as a church. Ezekiel 36, listen to this. God tells the Old Testament Jews that He will restore them he tells them that He will convict them of their sin and cleanse them. He tells them that He will remove the heart of stone and give them that heart of flesh. He tells them that He will put His Spirit within them and cause them to walk in His statutes. And He tells them that He will multiply the fruit of their labors. Isn't that our prayer at the International Church of Milan? Listen to how He ends that. He says that, And everyone around will know that I have done this, says the Lord. You know, we're here doing what we do for the glory of God. It's for Him. And we want Him to be seen as mighty and magnified in this place. Not us, but Him. And we cry out to God to do such an awesome thing here in Milan there can, there, that there can only be one explanation, and that is God has come down in great power. 
It's not because of programs or schemes or gimmicks. It's because God's here. That's what we need to be praying about, friends. If we want to see conversions, if we want to see Milan turned upside down, that's how we're supposed to be praying. We're supposed to be crying out to the Lord for Him to do a mighty work in this place. That is the essence of our prayer. Lord, convict us of our sin and cleanse us. Fill us with Your Spirit. Cause us to walk in Your ways. Multiply the fruit of our labor. And let everyone see that it's Jehovah Jireh at work here. It's not some brand new fangled church growth plan. No. It's God. Man, you could give me a hundred church growth plans. I don't want any of them. I just want God to come down. I just want God to have His way with His people. That's all I want. I wouldn't give you two cents for your average church growth plan. Our church growth plan is God is awesome. And He hears the prayers of His people. That's our church growth plan. I love what God says here. Ezekiel 36, uh, verse 36 and 37, He says, I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do this. He says, I'll do it for my people. I'll do it for my people. And those around will know that I have done it. God means to bless us, but He would have us cry out to Him. He says, he says I, I plan on establishing my people, but you can go look at it for yourself. Ezekiel 36, 30, uh, chapter 36, verses 36 uh, and 7. He says, but I will let my people ask me for this. You know this verse? God says, I mean to bless you, but I will have my people ask me for it. Christian friend, I'm just exhorting you. 2010, ask God to come down in our church and establish this church in a new and mighty way. One of the frequently asked questions I get as a pastor is, well, if God is sovereign, why should we pray? If Ephesians chapter 1, 11 is true, if God is working all things uh, in accordance with His will, if God is, is preeminently sovereign, why should we pray? I get this question as much as any question I get as a pastor. Because prayer is the means by which God means to accomplish His purposes. It's through the prayers of His people. It's through the prayers of His people that God will accomplish His sovereign purposes. That's why we must pray. That's why we must pray. God says, I mean to bless you, but I mean for you to ask me for it. That the world may uh, see me as a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. That I may be magnified in my church, but also in the world. As they see me answer the prayers of my people. Prayer is not a small thing. Uh, it's not a peripheral thing or incidental thing to the Christian. It strikes at the very reason that God created everything. Why did God create everything? Does anybody know? What's the one word answer? Two word answer. Three word answer. <laughs> Why does God create? For His glory. You're for His glory. You exist for, your, for His glory. Your child exists for His glory. This church exists for His glory. Everything's for His glory. And prayer highlights our poverty, 
our impotence and God's omnipotence. If we're rightly understanding prayer, we're confessing our need for Him and we know we can't do anything without Him. This brings glory to God when His people are crying out to Him. It brings glory to Him. And we bumped into another one of those oxymorons. Everybody know what an oxymoron is? How do you say oxymoron in Italian, Debbie? We're not really sure how to say <laughs> It's a contradiction in terms. It's like a phrase that has contradictory terms in it. And here it is. Here's the oxymoron. A Christian who doesn't pray. That is an oxymoron. A Christian who does not pray. One theologian said it like this. The self-sufficient do not pray. The self-satisfied will not pray. The self-righteous cannot pray. And God calls His people to be devoted to prayer. I love what 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us. God says, pray without what? What does He say? Pray without ceasing. Are you praying without ceasing, uh, Christian brother and sister? I mean, is that, uh, is that part of your life? Is that the warp and woof of your life? You're, you're crying out to God. Does that mean we're supposed to be uh, mentally and verbally praying every waking moment of the day? Of course not. Of course not. I like what John Piper says about it. It, it, Piper says, it's our default mindset. Oh Lord, take today. Let it, use it for your glory. It's not about me. It's about you. Amen? It's not about me. It's not preeminently about me. It's preeminently about you. It's our, it's our default mindset that we lean into and onto God no matter what the day brings. We lean into Him and we lean onto Him and we cry out, Oh God, help me in this situation. Encourage me in this situation. Embolden me in this situation. Deliver me from this situation. Show me what to do. Be with me. Walk, through, uh, walk with me through this situation. Whatever the prayer is. Our default mental state is, Oh Lord, help me. Great God, be with me. And I love Luke 18.1. Jesus says, persevere in prayer. Pray at all times and do not lose heart. I heard a preacher say one time, and I love it. Uh, I hope I don't mess it up. But he said, uh, nothing never happens when we pray. Don't you love that? It's kind of tricky. You have to think about that. You know, I've got some double negatives in there. Nothing never happens when we pray. That means something will happen. Nothing never happens when we pray. I love that. Nothing never happens when we pray. Some of you, I know that's all you'll remember. But remember that. Nothing never happens when we pray. God will be at work through the prayers of His people. Now, some of you have read this great book. I love this book. It's a book that God used to really uh, impact my life in a significant way. God changed me fundamentally, fundamentally in this, in, with this book. It's the autobiography of George Mueller. There are several of them. This is a very uh, abbreviated version. But uh, God used Mueller to feed 10,000, feed, house, clothe, evangelize, educate 10,000 orphans. And uh, Mueller never raised money to do this. He never asked anyone for money. He didn't do fundraising. You know what Mueller did? He prayed. And for 63 years, God answered those prayers. 
That was, that was Mueller's life in the ministry, 63 years. God never failed to show up in the morning and feed those kids. Now, there are two things you see when you read Mueller's uh, autobiography about prayer. There are two things you see. There are two things you see in there that you just can't, it just keeps, you know, it just keeps slapping you in the face. He doesn't just simply talk about prayer. He talks about believing prayer. I love that. He talks about believing prayer. And the, the other thing, the other thing that you, you see that he talks about is, is he says, after much waiting and perseverance in prayer, God answered. You know, Mueller built that first orphan home and then he felt led to, to build a second and a third. You know how long he waited? You know how long he prayed for the second and third orphan home? Eleven years. Have any of you prayed for anything for eleven years? This is the kind of perseverance... God is calling us to. I love what John Blanchard, that English, uh, that English evangelist, I love what he says about persevering in prayer. You're going to love this too. You may have heard me say it before, but I absolutely love this. Praying hold of his willingness to do so. Mueller knew that. He prayed 11 years. Amen? God is no reluctant benefactor. God is a Father who lo- infinitely loves His children. And His answer will be perfect in its timing and in its effect. His answer will be perfect. All we got to do is just keep crying out to Him because He hears and we know the answer is coming. We know that the answer is coming. Jesus says, do not lose heart. I want to just interject here just a brief word about the low view of prayer in the modern church. Most of us, or most of the modern church seems to have this view that we're, really what prayer is, is writing a letter to Santa Claus. And, or it's, it's rubbing uh, the bottle and hoping the genie comes out and gives us our wish. Uh, it turns God into our errand boy. God, this is what we want. This is when we want it. Friends, this is not biblical prayer. This is not what God is saying to us about prayer. It is not a letter. To Santa Claus. Biblical prayer. It's coming to God with our need. It's giving it to Him. It's committing our way to Him. And waiting and trusting Him for that sovereign answer we know is coming. So we just keep giving it to God. We just keep giving it to God. Even if it's 11 years, we just keep giving it to God. Amen? We just keep giving it to God. Because God says, I hear the prayers of my people and I will answer even if it's 11 years. The reason I know that this is a perfect model of prayer to follow is because the second member of the Trinity prayed this way. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before He was crucified, how many times did He ask the Lord to let that cup pass from Him? How many times? Three times. But what did the Lord Jesus say? Yet not my will, but what? Friends, this is real prayer. It's not the junk you hear on the radio or you see on TV. This is what God says. My people cry out to me. My people trust me. And I answer in my perfect sovereign time and wisdom. I love it. It's very, very clear. It's very, very clear. You know, Paul is the same way. Paul teaches us the same thing over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul entreated the Lord three times to remove that thorn in the flesh. What did God say to Paul? Anybody? God says, no. 
I will not remove the thorn in the flesh. But Jim's got it right. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes, friends, God's going to say no. And you know what? Praise God for the no. Guess what? He knows better than you. Some of you have learned that. Aren't you? Some of you have already learned this. God knows better than you. Man, when the no comes, I praise God for the no. Because I was venturing off into something I don't need to venture off into. And God is protecting me. When the no comes, God is protecting us and revealing something new about Himself. You've got to love Paul. Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well contented in my weakness. Paul didn't lose faith in God. He didn't get a pout on and stop praying. He's praising the Lord. Let me ask you, friend, is that how it is with you when the no comes? Something you've prayed about maybe for a long time and you finally come to understand. God is saying no. Are you like the Apostle Paul? Can you praise the Lord? Friends, we need to be. We're really trusting in His sovereignty and His goodness and, and His righteousness. He can only do that which is perfect. So Paul was no name it and claim it uh, heretic. Paul submitted his prayer request to the Lord and he left it with him. I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 and I think uh, in large measure uh, Paul is saying to pray in the Spirit. That's what Paul does and that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to pray in the Spirit. You know, prayer is not just, is not just again a letter to Santa Claus. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a time of communion. We're to be speaking, but we're also to be what? Anyone know? Listen. Are you listening at all? Are you listening? Oh, it's so sad, the, the low uh, definition of prayer in much of the modern church. Prayer is to be communion. We're supposed to be listening as well. It's part of a relationship to listen. Jesus was talking in John 14. He says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What is he saying? You know, do we, do we, uh, why do we say in Jesus' name? Is that, is, is that a religious uh, magic potion? Is that a, a, a magic religious formula to, get, to obligate Christ to do what I want? Is that what that means when we say in Jesus' name? You know what that really means? That means I submit to your will, Lord Jesus. This is, this is for you. Whatever you want to do in this circumstance, I submit to you. That's what that means. That is not just a suffix that we attach because it's got magic in it. No, it's saying, Lord, I give you all of these requests, but I submit my, myself to your sovereign authority and what you want to do in my life, knowing it will be perfect. Let me just share 1 John 5, 14 and 15 with you. Here's biblical prayer. And this is our confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from Him. Herein lies the key to prayer. It's a coming to God. It's a listening to the Spirit. It's boldly asking and then submitting to the will of God. As I close, I just want to, I want to uh, encourage you to pray like Martin Luther. Everybody know who Martin Luther was? He was the father of the, the Protestant Reformation. 
And it was said of Martin Luther that he prayed with such brokenness and such humility and such repentance that as he prayed, you pitied him. But as he continued to pray, he prayed with such boldness that you feared for him. And that's my call to you tonight, Christian, to pray with broken boldness in 2010. To pray with broken boldness in 2010. Some of you may have sin in your life that is hindering your closeness to God and your prayer life. I'm going to challenge you tonight to repent of that sin. Repent of that sin. I'm going to challenge you to be a prayer warrior. And you can't be a prayer warrior if you're tolerating known, conscious, premeditated sin in your life. And I'm challenging you, Christian, put the sin down and get busy doing what you've been called to do. That's to cry out to the Lord, not only for you and your family, but for this church. And there may be some here that don't know Christ. They've never given themselves away to Jesus. They don't know what that means. I'm going to call you to come to Jesus tonight. I'm going to call you to make a decision to come to Christ. Come to Christ. It's an open invitation. Some here may need to do that. If you don't know what that means or what that looks like, come and talk to me. No more rote prayers. No more dead rote prayers. We cry out to our God who hears and who answers. So Christian, I, I exhort you to obey Christ. He says, ask. He says, seek. He says, knock. And I'm going to end with one of my favorite verses. Jeremiah 29. Um, some of you will recognize this verse. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. This is what the Lord says. Listen to what He says. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon Me. And come and pray to Me. And I will listen to you. And you will seek Me. And you will find Me when you search for Me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Have you ever had a better invitation than that? I've never had a better one. Church, pray. If you belong to Christ tonight, if you're a Christian, I exhort you to pray. Let 2010 be your deepest and most profound and most exciting year uh, in prayer with Christ. Drive a stake in the ground. No more lukewarm prayer. I'm going to pray like God's really hearing me and like I really believe He's going to answer me. I challenge you in 2010 to pray the Lord will establish this church. And that God might use you in a mighty way. Use your gift in this church to build up this church, to edify this church. The Lord might use you in a profound way in 2010. Let's pray together. Father, we're in all this breathtaking invitation 
unconditional. You tell your children to come and to cry out to you. And you hear. And you answer perfectly. What an awesome thing. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we take this for granted or when we don't even take advantage of it at all. The God who spoke a billion galaxies into existence in a nanosecond. He says, come to me. I will hear and answer. And oh Lord, thank you. We, we acknowledge that <laughs> no one can stop you. No one can hinder you. No one can cause you to be delayed. You always answer perfectly. We praise you, Lord. You are the ground of our faith and prayer. You are the ground of our assurance. You are the ground of our hope. It's you, Lord. And help us to be mature in prayer as Jesus modeled it and as Paul modeled it. Yes, we cry out to you boldly. But we submit to your sovereign will. As Paul says, most gladly therefore, we submit to the will of God who can only do that which is perfect and right. Thank you, Lord. Teach us this. Teach us to be mature in prayer. Teach us to be persistent in prayer. Teach us to be devoted in prayer. Teach us to pray unceasingly. And we pray for this church, Lord. We need you. We need you to come down. Lord, we need you to to bring many to the church. We, we pray for conversions. We pray for a revival and an awakening in the international community, but also in the Italian community. Lord, come down in a mighty way that the unbelievers around will see it's You. It's always You. It's only You. We pray all this in the beautiful name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.